Good morning. This morning we'll be reading from John 10, 7 through 10, Galatians 6, 2, and Hebrews 13, 1, 2. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Galatians 6-2. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And finally, Hebrews 13, 1, 2. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to, to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is the final in a series entitled Christmas Classics, Finding Advent in the Big Screen, taking a more lighthearted look uh, at these truths that we can find both in movie and when it is placed against the backdrop of God's Word. And I think we've saved the best for last. How many of you have seen It's a Wonderful Life? Raise your hand. Is there anybody who hasn't seen it? I did not see it till I was in my late 20s. Lauren, did you raise your hand? Have you not seen it? You're dismissed. (laughs) You've got to see it. It's so good. Um, It was made in 1946, and it was a box office dud. It lost money. It was a big disappointment. It didn't win any awards. And basically, it was placed on a shelf to collect dust. But then in the 1970s, there was a loophole in a copyright law, and the networks were able to uh, show it for free. And that's when it caught on. And it caught everyone's hearts. The American Film Institute eventually named it the most inspirational movie ever made. And you know who the main character is? George Bailey, played so wonderfully by Jimmy Stewart. It takes place during the 1930s in a sleepy little uh, county seat town called Bedford Falls. George's father owns a building and loan company that struggles along but really does so much to help people very selflessly, very sacrificially. But George has big dreams of leaving town. He wants to go to college. He wants to see the world, travel overseas, travel everywhere. But suddenly his father dies. And rather than letting the corrupt Mr. Potter take over the business, George stays and runs the building and loan. And then for much of the movie, you have this pattern of, of George sacrificing of him, his own self, his own desires on behalf of other people. Well, you fast forward a bit. Uh, George marries, has kids, goes through a series of ups and downs, but the big down comes along when his uncle Billy, who is his co-partner with the building and loan, loses $8,000 at the bank. And they retrace his steps. They cannot find it anywhere. And George knows what this means because they've been struggling financially anyway. This means scandal, possible jail time. He will have let his family down, let his customers down, let his town down. And he is so distressed that he hits rock bottom to the point where he finds himself in a bar and doing something he had not done, obviously, in a long time, and that's praying 
in desperation. It's a very vulnerable, poignant moment. Let's look at it. rope he is so despondent he leaves the bar and finds himself on a bridge with water rushing below and he decides to jump to take his own life but what happens first a fellow named Clarence not a fellow an angel jumps in first into the water and acts like he's drowning why because he knows what George is going to do because George is so selfless George jumps in to rescue him I love it because he saves Clarence and by doing that he saves himself. And together, George and Clarence go on this interesting journey. And along the way, George learns some important things about life and people and faith. And when we set that against the backdrop of Scripture, we can learn something too. First of all, your life really does make a difference. You know, there's the scene after George dives in and rescues Clarence, and they are drying off in the bridge toll. And this is where Clarence lets George know that he's an angel, along with another fellow sitting in there. And I've just always loved this scene, so let's watch this. I didn't have time to get some stylish underwear. Wife gave me this on my last birthday. (laughs) I passed away in it. Oh, Tom Sawyer's drying out, too. You should read the new book Mark Twain's writing now. How did you happen to fall in? I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. You what? To save me? Well, I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Oh, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. Where do you come from? Heaven. I had to act quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you tried to save me. You see, you did. And that's how I saved you. Uh, uh, very funny. Your lip's bleeding, George. Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 George. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> Well, who are you, then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2, what, what, what's that, AS2? Angel, second class. Always love that scene. Now, of course, George isn't buying it. He does not believe that Clarence really is an angel, but he rambles on in that toll booth about his frustrations and his perceived failures, and he gets to a point of telling Clarence he wishes he had never been born, and that gives Clarence an idea. 
So you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, eh? Well, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been born. And so now Clarence and George go on this strange journey really through an alternative reality that would have existed had George not been born. Had he not been born, his brother, his kid brother would have died at an early age because George rescued him uh, from falling in through the ice and therefore his brother would not have saved a whole transport a transport full of military personnel during the war. He would not have received the Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, the town of Bedford Falls would have been in shambles and become a really shady, corrupt place that was actually named, renamed Pottersville after the evil Mr. Potter. And people whom he had helped through such terrible situations were now in even much worse situations financially, personally. And George begins to realize that his life really had meaning, that he made a huge difference in the life of others. And he goes looking in a certain place where he thinks it's a neighborhood that he built, but now, in this alternative reality, it is a cemetery instead. And Clarence cuts to the chase with George at this point. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? We weren't here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? And George does realize that he really does have a wonderful life, and he has this change of heart. And he eventually is so excited about that, and eventually he tells Clarence to take him back, and he finds himself back at the bridge where he was going to jump off. But again, what about your life? Do you realize that you have a wonderful life? What a gift it is. What a difference it makes in the lives of so many others. It might not be the precise, idealized view that you had of your life, but nevertheless, it is so wonderful and meaningful and difference Making. There's a scene earlier where the money-mongering Mr. Potter makes a disparaging remark about George's father. And George retorts, in my book, he died a much richer man than you. Why? Because of his father's willingness to help others and his personal perspective on life. Potter is so materialistic and egocentric. And here George's father had been a self-giving man, a man of character throughout his life. And I think that he knew what 
really mattered in the heart. You know, thousands of years ago, the writer of Ecclesiastes wrote Ecclesiastes 3.11, which says, God has planted eternity in the human heart. You know, God wants you and me to live in the light of eternity. You know, when do we realize what a gift we have? We let these other forces rob us of our joy, whether it is materialism or, or, or cynicism or confusion, or doubt, or bitterness, or pettiness, whatever it might be. You know what Jesus refers to those as? As thieves. As thieves. Which is why he says in John 10.10, the thief, all of those thieves, come only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. You know, so many of the great heroes of life lived simply and humbly and serving others. And it's because they knew they had eternity planted in their heart. And it's not like they had to have everything given to them and have all these accolades. I, th- I think of my uh, maternal grandfather, O.G. Porch, brother O.G. Porch, or Jack Porch. Um, wonderful, wonderful man. Um, he was at the Baptist Seminary in Louisville many years ago, was the top Greek student in Ph.D. work. He studied uh, with his roommate, William Hershey Davis, uh, who wasn't quite... Uh, at the GPA level as my grandfather was. But uh, my grandfather, Jack Porch, got married during his doctoral work, and very, uh, they had a child uh, soon thereafter, and then very suddenly and tragically, his wife died. And here he is left with a little baby girl. And uh, he didn't have the money to stay in school, and he didn't know what else to do other than to consider another calling rather than teaching Greek. And he became a pastor. And he pastored Buckhannon Baptist Church in Botetourt County, uh, Virginia, population of about 1,700 now. It was fewer when he was there. And was a small-town pastor in a parsonage that he didn't know for about 40 years. You know, his friend William Hershey Davis, who wasn't quite as good at Greek wound up writing this textbook, A Grammar of the Greek New Testament, which is still used to this day. It's been used for decades. And he became a professor at the seminary, which was granddaddy's original dream. But he wound up loving those people for 40 years at Buchanan. And I'll never forget when I was 10 years old going to visit him. He was in a retirement center. He was very, very frail and very poor health. And I remember uh, going down with my mother to uh, Ranson's Drug Store. And it was one of those old drug stores with the, with the old soda fountain place. And uh, we sat up there on the stools, and Mr. Ranson came over, and he found out that I was a Brother Porch's grandson, and he said, you know what, your daddy doesn't own a lick of land in this town, but it's all his. (laughs) It's all his. You know, he, he didn't have much money, he just had eternity in his heart meant much more. You know, we may not think our lives amount to much, but they do. And this eternal life that he plants in our hearts and for eternity itself is such a gift because of the birth of Jesus, whose birth we celebrate soon. You know, we need not let these other thieves rob us of our joy. You know, whether it's the stress of the Advent season, whether it is some, some egocentrism that we're struggling with or some anger or bitterness, whatever it might be, remember again, as we've said this year, that it's all his story and we are so blessed simply to be a part of it. Your life does make a difference. Another thing I want us to look at is we can be angels to each other. We've got Clarence the angel. Now, when George realizes that this is a wonderful life, again, he finds himself on the bridge where he was going to jump, 
And he realizes that he's back in reality now, and he, he barrels towards home, just rushes towards home, and he's so happy. And do you remember the scene where he's saying Merry Christmas to everybody? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. And that's my really lame Jimmy Stewart impersonation. It just came out. Uh, but when he gets home, he has a huge surprise. The town had heard about this bad fortune that he had had by losing the money, and they just rallied together. And they keep bringing in money to help him out, and it far surpasses the $8,000 that he had lost. It's a wonderful scene where the community just really comes together in such a wonderful, wonderful way. Let's watch that. in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> George is rescued by an angel named Clarence, but he really was rescued by a host of angels, wasn't he? All of his friends in Bedford Falls. So let's talk about angels for just a moment. What does the Bible teach us about angels? Well, angelion is the word. It means messenger. And sometimes the messenger is an angelic being. Oftentimes it's someone who looks like a human being, and sometimes it is a human being. It's interesting to me that 40% of non-churchgoers believe in angels. Find that Sort of interesting. I wish they would believe more about it all. But they were usually serving the purpose of making a big announcement. Or they would make some form of encouraging action towards someone. Now, did angels have wings? Clarence, you have that in, in that version of it. No, angels really uh, don't have wings in Scripture. There are two exceptions. You find that in the book of Revelation, but that's written in the apocalyptic genre, so it really doesn't count, and we can talk about that later if you want. Really, all the angels that you find in Scripture are either angelic beings, but most of the time, they look like you and me. 
So are there angelic beings? Yes, but there are people who are angels as well. Has there ever been somebody who really was an angel for you at a time of crisis, a time of desperation, a time of of difficulty, a time of depression? Someone who came to you at the right moment when you really needed someone. That's why you see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. What's the point of that verse? Angels look a lot like people sometimes, because many times the people whom God sends act as angels. And sometimes the ones he sends are you and me. And that's important for us to remember that we can be angels for others. We can be giving of ourselves. Bobby's prayer for the offertory, I thought, yep, he's being an angel for that. And he would quickly uh, counter that, no, I'm the one being blessed by all the angels I'm ministering with. But there are so many great opportunities to do that. Um, we need to be angels for each other. I always think of angels, and I'll think of Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 2, which says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And let me invite anybody here, whether you're a non-member of Brookwood or a member of Brookwood, to invest more fully in this place. I have never known of a church that rallies behind someone at a time of need the way I have known it here. And I'm not blowing smoke here. Uh, I've seen it in ways that I I just cannot even uh, begin to share because there's so many uh, opportunities and people fulfilling that. I've never seen more proactive angels than I have at Brookwood Baptist Church. So if you haven't joined yet, or if you've joined but, but you haven't really invested, I would encourage you to do that. It is so worth it, and it means so much to you. Angels can help us, obviously, but not to the extent that Christ can, which leads to a final thought. You know, George Bailey you know, found out what it would have been like if he had not been born. But let's explore this for just a minute. What if Jesus had never been born? What if Jesus had never been born? I've always appreciated the little piece written by James Allen Francis. Uh, He wrote it in 1926. He was pastor for many years at the First Baptist Church of Los Angeles, California, and it's called One Solitary Life. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I'd like to just read through it here. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book, he never held an office, he never went to college, he never visited a big city, he never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth when he was dead. He was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. And he's right. You know, it was Jesus who split earthly time into B.C. and A.D., or now the politically correct thing is B.C.E. and C.E., before the Christian era and Christian era. It's still Christ, and it was Christ who came in the flesh. But, but I, I would hope along the way you and I would consider the other practical ways that Jesus made such a difference simply by coming into the world. Treatment of women... 
Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Look at other ways that Jesus elevated the place of women in society when they had been treated really like chattel for so long, or children, which in Jesus' day, an unwanted baby could be left in the desert or in the woods for wild animals. Up until eight years old, a father who considered his child his property could actually sell his child, even kill his child, if that was more economically uh, viable. Christians cherish children now. Post-Christ is when orphanages were started. What about ministering to the poor? You know, Christians inspired by Jesus have reached out more as an institution than any other in history. You know, whether it be Compassion International or, or Living Hope or the Salvation Army, whatever it is, all these ministries, many which we are involved with here. What about medical care? Christianity brought the first hospitals to the common people. In fact, if you go back to the council at Nicaea in AD 325, which the Emperor Constantine called, the main purpose of that conference was to develop an understanding of Jesus' divinity and to defend it and really defend the Trinity, out of which you got the Nicene Creed and which evolved into the Apostles' Creed, which some of you wound up uh, uh, memorizing as a child. But not only that, before they ended the council at Nicaea, they adopted a resolution saying that wherever a significant church was founded, planted, there would be a hospital planted nearby. And after Constantine gained power and had so much influence as a believer, hospitals sprang up everywhere. That's how it started. Education, my goodness. During the Dark Ages, if we didn't have the priests and the monks uh, making copies of transcripts, not just of scripture, but of other writings that became other books... I don't know where we would be. Johannes Gutenberg, the Gutenberg Press, which, which, which shared uh, the Word of God, but also other books worldwide. Uh, in Asia, you had, in the 1500s, 1600s, you had, uh, particularly in Southeast Asia, different missionaries who wound up codifying the alphabet and language of certain people groups, and they, they still use it today. I mean, I could go on and on with things like that. Some 123 colleges in America were founded on Christian principles by Christians, even some of the great schools like Harvard and Yale and Brown and Northwestern and these others. But of course, eternal life is the most important thing, the most important difference he makes. What if Jesus had never been born? I think it was Kyle Eidelman who was talking with a friend about the question if Jesus had never been born. And his friend said, you know, it's kind of weird if you think about it, Jesus still would have existed if he had never been born. (laughs) And he's right. Jesus didn't need to be born to exist. John 1, 1 makes that clear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. He was preexistent. He existed before time, along with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. He was preexistent. He didn't have to be born, but he was for you and me. That's the difference he made. He cared enough to enter into our world to redeem us of our sins and give us Eternal life way beyond this one. Have you opened yourself to that love in your own life? You know, maybe you're holding back in some way. Maybe you're holding on to something that you need to let go of, like maybe a security blanket. Just this past week, we're not going to close with a wonderful life. We're going to close with something else. Just this past week, I read an uh, article by a guy named Jason Sarosky. He is a worship leader, musician, writer, And he talked about one of his favorite scenes that he had seen for so many years every Christmas in that wonderful film, A Charlie Brown Christmas. How many of y'all have seen A Charlie Brown Christmas? Okay. You remember that scene where Linus explains to Charlie Brown what the real meaning of Christmas is? Remember that? And he quotes Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. 
Jason watched it this year, and he said there was one thing I had never noticed before. When Linus delivers that speech on the stage, he drops his blanket. He drops his security blanket. This is a security blanket. Those of you who, who grew up on, on Peanuts comics, you, you, you know the story about how Linus always needed that security blanket, and people would try to separate him from it. They never could, whether it was his sister Lucy or Charlie Brown or Charlie Brown's kid sister Sally or whoever. They would always try to get the blanket away. They couldn't keep it away from him, couldn't get it away from him. He had to have that security blanket. But in this scene, he simply drops it. And most telling is what he is saying when he drops. I want you to see if you can tell what he's saying right when he drops the blanket, okay? Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Did you notice what he was saying when he dropped the blanket? Did anybody catch it? Fear not. Well, Jason Swarovski is convinced that in a subtle but brilliant way, Charles Schultz put that in there to show that Jesus separates us from our fears. That we need not, I'll never watch that the same again. I'll always be watching for that. Jesus separates us from our fears. Yes, there are fearful things that we face in the world, but we need not fear because of his birth And because of what he did for us, as he said, you will have trials and tribulations in this world, but be of good cheer, be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. That makes your life and my life a wonderful one. We need not worry about whether or not Jesus was born because he was. He was. Let's pray together. There might be someone even in this room right now who needs to give up something in order to gain new life in Christ or more life in Christ. You maybe have never have made a profession of faith before, and maybe this is the morning that, that you can tell that, that Christ really wants you to do that today, and we would invite you to do that in just a minute. But maybe you want to commit yourself all the more to the Christ whom you confessed a long time ago, but you may have wandered away a bit and you want to just strengthen your commitment to him. We invite you to do that as well. Whatever it might be, in just a moment, we will have a time of invitation and whether you make that new commitment where you stand or if you want to make it public by coming forward and letting me greet you and let us celebrate with you, we we would be overjoyed by that.
But Lord, right now, we simply thank you for this marvelous, amazing, miraculous life that you've given to us. Make us good stewards of it. Help us to savor it for the amazing gift that it is every day, every hour, every moment. Thank you that we get to experience it as a community, as a tribe, as a church family. Help us always to realize that we are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And and just the opportunity for us to be angels to each other is such an amazing gift. We thank you so much, most of all, that your son came and was born and died for us and rose for us that we would have not just a wonderful earthly life, but an incredible gift of an eternal life. We lift this prayer in your name. Amen.